With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Hi, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, let's go back overseas. Let's continue to talk about this energy crisis because it is worldwide, global, and Germany's right in the center of it for a whole lot of reasons. We're going to talk to Felix Hassa about right now. He joins us from Berlin. Felix, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thrilled to have you. Always enjoy hearing that German accent from having lived over there. I miss the place. Uh, y'all got some drama on the energy front. Let's start big picture because we've talked about um, we're going to talk about nuclear. We've talked about the gas exports. We know about Russia and Ukraine and Putin putting the screws to Germany and the rest of the EU. We know all that. Let's back up, though, because part of the puzzle that the Western media and Western audience may not know is, you know, one of our founding principles on our program is things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence. So a lot of folks on the outside are going, why did Germany let themselves get in this position with drawing down their nuclear power, with making themselves so dependent on Russian gas and other energy sources? Give us that piece of it, the background of this that folks may not know that led up to the current crisis as far as Germany and the EU is concerned. Well, we have to go back very far in time, actually, uh, until the 1970s and 80s um, to explain why Germany quit using nuclear power. Back in back in those days, there was a um, large anti-nuclear movement, which was mainly fueled by 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 fear and under the pressure of the Cold War. Um, so they, they basically um, equated the civil use of nuclear power with nuclear bombs. And after seeing um, the damage that nuclear bombs can do, um, they, they basically were, were afraid. And the problem with that movement was that it's very influential. Um, in, 19, in the 1970s, they had a lot of decentral, act, uh, like decentral groups, uh, decentralized groups, which were organizing their resistance towards the multiple nuclear power plants within Germany. And in 1980, our Green Party was founded, which was basically um just those those groups coming together so right now we have a party which is in parliament and very very influential in german culture um which has as their founding story as uh, you know as, as this myth that they base all the policy on that they are anti-nuclear and i alluded to that they were um they're very influential in uh, in politics in parliament but also in media, mainly in the, the public broadcasting, which we have right now, and um, in almost in any um, facet of a society. Now, you mentioned the Green Party, for lack of a better terminology. We've seen the Green Parties in other countries in Europe start to kind of turn around on this a little bit. Belgium's in particular, the Holland, uh, the Netherlands, the Green Party there. They're starting to kind of move away from that a little bit and go, okay, we want to be environmentally friendly. Maybe we can work this out with the nuclear folks a little bit. We're seeing some changes in some other places. Are we seeing that with the Green Party in Germany, though? We do not. I think there was one week uh, where they contemplated when they were basically in panic, um, thinking about, all right, we are in a, we are an energy crunch right now. Um, are we going to abandon our principle of being anti-nuclear? And that discussion was pretty short-lived in the party itself because they 
um, they came together and said, "We're the Greens. We cannot. We cannot let that happen. This is. Um, we would abandon um, a large share of our of our core voter uh, base. So we cannot let that happen." Now, the the Western perception of Germany, of course, longtime allies of America, friends of America. The perception is everybody thinks of the German people as being practical. Of course, the manufacturing base, very industrial, very um, forward thinking and how to get things done. That's sort of a stereotype of the German people. Why is it nuclear is such a bugaboo to the to the folks, especially the Green Party folks? You mentioned it a little bit, the thing from the 70s, but we're two generations from that. Is it just repeated so much that people believe it? Or is it just ingrained in folks? Or is there something in this new wave of these new Green Party? The I'm talking to people like 20 to 40, the newer generation of them. Is it just habit? Or is it something else going on that we're not really aware of? I would say, on one hand, it's habit. On one hand, it's definitely habit. Um, over over this uh, over those you know years when we like just for context, we phased out our nuclear. Um, we made the decision to phase out our nuclear plans um, in 2011. So up until this point, nuclear power was running uh, very smoothly, and nobody really worried about it. Um, we did that under the impression of Fukushima, but under the surface, the anti-nuclear and the, or the nuclear skepticism had been growing since the 70s and 80s. And you said that Germany is always seen as this very efficient, non-emotional uh, approach to you know doing doing business and doing industry and producing. However, there's there's a slight caveat to that. I think that um, after after the Second World War. We never really had any um, drastic disruptive innovation coming up. Basically, also not even like going back even even um, earlier than that. So, the the industriousness that Germany is, is is known for is a thing of the past. And right now, we're we're basically um, having this dreamer like attitude that we are still a rich country, that we are basically um, you know just feeding off of our of the innovation that we did roughly a hundred years ago. And when you're in a country which does not realize why it is rich, um, then you end up with, with policies which um, basically go against what made us rich, for example, cheap energy, and that you know, nuclear comes with that. interesting though because um maybe this is one of those things where we talk about maybe the culture is dictating the politics more than the other way around we're going to talk about the policy side of this and what you wrote about in just a minute but talk about the generational change because i think i think you're hitting on something important here because you talked about disruption well the last real big disruption in germany before this current crisis was reunification which was a massive economic change they had to absorb the eastern germans um, that was the same time the U.S. did massive drawdowns, which changed their economic situation. That was a big period of change in Germany. But we're too, we're over a generation away from that now. So this new generation is probably not really thinking of those things. They really haven't had a major economic disruption. The EU's ran pretty smoothly. Until this Putin invading Ukraine thing, they really kind of had a bit of a bubble of, of good times and good economy and things going well. 
is that part of the problem here is that culturally this is kind of the first crisis for the current generation of a whole lot of germans and a lot of the eu in general i always say that germany is too rich germany is too rich to appreciate freedom and prosperity and innovation um right now we we are basically um living off the uh, you know the fruits of our, our of previous of previous decades and even centuries um we have had high energy prices um but we've been rich enough to basically not notice them obviously the lower classes in our society have been have been struggling under the highest energy prices which are in the world right now um but the the middle classes and the upper middle classes who are overly represented in media and in culture have not felt the pain and now this has changed right this has changed um since um since the invasion of ukraine and since the um Ru uh, the russian gas is likely to be uh, not flowing next next winter yeah and this is the core of this problem is winter's coming and there's nothing yes. you're going to do to stop winter from coming are people cognizant of that? Is there a sense of urgency to do something about any of this? Now, we've seen a little bit of movement on the nuclear front. They've talked about, you know, not shutting down what they haven't shut down yet, that sort of thing. But really, you talked about this. This is we're dealing with policy that was set in 2011. So, you know, almost 10, 11, 12 years ago now. Is there really that much they can do at this late hour to slam the brakes on this thing? So there is a sense of urgency within the population. Um, the amount of firewood that has been stolen from the forests is going is going up um the the prices the prices of um of i would say like you know the prices of gas the prices of 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 oil is is going up because people are afraid that they cannot heat their homes in the winter so within the population there is a strong sense of urgency and this is usually um this is not reflected in the urgency of for example that the greens feel right now um some other parties which are in the in the governing coalition like the spd and the fdp um they kind of voice a sense of urgency there but they are in a coalition with the greens together um so i i guess they would have they would be more vocal if they weren't if they weren't in the coalition yeah and for the american audience and the international audience that aren't familiar with parliamentarian politics uh, Olaf Schultz's ruling coalition, they call it the traffic signal coalition, uh, green, yellow, red. Just kind of break that down for a second, because that's the current ruling party. It's a brand new ruling party after a long tenure of Angela Merkel. Say whatever you want, but it was stable for a long, long time. This is a lot of new on top of everything else. And that's part of the story as well, isn't it? Yes, for sure. For sure. It has been it's a very uh, novel way of doing politics in Germany. It's first and foremost, it's a it's a three party coalition. Which is uh, which is new on the federal level. Um, we do have the, um, the the majority within that coalition has is the SPD, which is the Social Democrats. Um, those have been um, usually they they have been actually running on on the ticket that nothing really changed for some for some reason they managed uh, to be associated with a continuity that was actually appreciated under uh, under the Merkel government. So Olaf Scholz was a part of that um, too for a long time, and he managed to just have this this sense of of continuity, and this is why he became the chancellor. The other parties, 
And there are the Greens and the classical liberal, like the liberal Democrats. Um, coming to the Greens, they are um, they are new to government. They had been in government uh, when when Gerhard Schröder, or or the, the Chancellor before Merkel was in uh, was in uh, power, and they were um, polling very well before the election. And there were some even some rumors that they could actually um, that the chancellor could be from the Green Party. That didn't materialize because uh, Schultz was had a pretty good um, had a pretty good last couple of weeks before the election. But the Greens have never been this strong and influential uh, in, in in German politics. And those those parties are um, I would say could be considered left wing. And then you have. The odd party in that coalition, which are, which are the classical liberals, the the free democrats, and uh, those represent more of a, of a centrist, of a centrist, um, pol uh, centrist politics. They yeah they have they have classical liberal values. Um, however, they find it very very tough against those two left parties to actually um, make a mark on 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 policy. This is the current situation which we're having. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to our friend Felix Hasse. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about the German politics. We're going to talk about uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, the Scholz machine. We're going to get into why he's called that in the policy. Also get back to his piece he wrote. We're going to get into some of the numbers, nuclear by the numbers. Why was it a public panic that put this whole thing together, what they're going to do about it, talking more about nuclear energy with our friend over in Germany. Hertel continues right after this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Felix Haas joining us from over in Berlin, talking a little energy, talking some nuclear. Um, we're talking about policy and politics and culture all colliding when it comes to nuclear. Anytime you have those three together, you need to go to leadership. The current leadership and Chancellor of Germany is Olaf Scholz. We talked about his party, but let's talk about the man for a minute. Again, you know, he's good, bad, or indifferent, whatever you thought of Angela Merkel. She's been there a long time. They had a lot of stability. They had a lot of economic success. She was a major player on the world stage, especially when it came to Russia and her evolution about Russia um, over the years. He's an unknown quality to a lot of people. We've got some book on him now. He's been in power for a couple of months. What are people thinking about Olaf Scholz when it comes to this energy crisis? In terms of style, he basically continues the style of Angela Merkel. Um, the, Angela Merkel has been successful in, in ruling Germany or had been successful in ruling Germany for such a long time. By having a style which basically focuses on not rocking the boat, not doing any major um, reforms which would be needed, 
and basically governing based on polls. So try to try to do not what is necessary, but what is right now in this moment um, politically um, politically like like which like the opportunity is there and which people appreciate in this particular moment. So Olaf Scholz has the same has the same style. However, he does not have. Um, there is no emotional connection like we had with Merkel. He's a very, um, he's a very, you know, bland character, and he doesn't get he doesn't get the 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 emotion that we had to uh, Mutti Merkel, which means mother mother Merkel, which some some Germans called her. So that's that's his, that's his government style. He does not rock the boat, and this particular. Um, style gets very interesting if you are in a coalition with two other parties, because then you um, do not exactly pick sides when um, some coalition parties have their their pet projects, their their you know their topics. Um, for example, the Greens um, having having the nuclear uh, the topic of nuclear power. Um, there he doesn't pick uh, any sides and he just lets them run with it. This is the current situation of leadership. In regards to nuclear, now you've got people like you mentioned and alluded to before. Some of these other parties, this is a coalition government. They're openly talking about if this winter gets ugly, if the crisis gets worse, he's going to have problems with his coalition. What's he saying? What's he pitching the German people right now? Because they're looking at the calendar. We're deep into August here. It's getting cold up there. You know, those cold, rainy German winters are no joke. I've been through them. What's he telling the people? What's the pitch to the people? Who are concerned about this issue right now? The interesting fact is that Scholz doesn't pitch anything. Uh, Scholz basically uh, lets his like that's the ministers uh, govern, which is the minister of economy, the minister of finance, and the minister of ecology. Um, for those, for those, he just you know he just lets them um, fight it out uh, amongst themselves. The interesting thing is that the minister of finance is from the. Um, free Democrats of so the classical liberal party and the Minister of Economy is of the um, is of the Green Party. So there is a there is a uh, a conflict which he basically just you know removes himself from and uh, lets them lets them fight it out. Yeah, that doesn't sound like leadership to me, but what do I know? Maybe he knows something about it. I don't know. Um, the other piece of this is always renewable energy. It ain't from lack of trying. Germany has spent enormous funds, enormous infrastructure, and they've been doing it for a long time. They were early adapters on it. I'm looking at the background on my computer screen right now is a picture from, you know, 2008 that we took because we would drive up on the, the hills above where we lived in schonenberg Kubelberg, and it's just windmills as far as you can see on top of the hill. It's one of my favorite pictures. My daughter took it. That's the background on my computer I'm looking at now. That was a long time ago. They've been doing renewable energy for a long time. Has Germany got the investment back from that that they thought they would get? About uh, about renewable energy, we have been doing large investments in solar and wind, um, and it's not for a lack of trying. Our basic enemy in German energy policy is basic physics. Um, the The problem with wind and solar is that there are times when the wind is not blowing, the sun's not shining, and while when the wind blows and the sun shines, we have um, we have the energy from those sources in the times when they, you know, when we do not have the energy, we have to rely on other sources. So actually, 
with the um, we started off with the intention of becoming more green and more nuclear, but our, for example, our carbon emissions are much higher than the um, surrounding countries because, quite frankly, we do not have as much nuclear in our energy mix. So we were um, for a long time living the dream um, in energy policy, and we we woke up roughly half a year ago. Yeah, abruptly. Thank you, Vladimir Putin. Um, I, I seem like I ask this question every time we talk about nuclear on the program with every guest on nuclear. I'm going to phrase it this way because you wrote about it in your piece. You talked about the Green Party's opposition. You wrote that it is largely white collar opposition characterized by a lack of understanding of the energy demands of private enterprise and how increased energy prices affect working class people. Also, all this high tech stuff that Germany's trying to get in on, trying to be the leading edge on in Europe, massive outliers of power to to do things like that, even in things like there was news today about the the semiconductor industry in Taiwan, how it's just massive power drains to do these sorts of things. Germany's going to need power if it's going to remain the economic engine of not just Germany, the entire EU relies on Germany. That's just the facts of it. How in the world are we going to have a conversation with those white collar folks in the Green Party like you talked about to breach the gap of like, hey, we have data. This nuclear energy is clean. If you care about the environment, nuclear energy is the best option to get the most power possible for the cleanest energy possible. But there just seems to be this force field around it where they don't want to hear it or we're not communicating it well enough, those of us that advocate for it. So this is the question I always ask every time we talk about energy. How do we change that? How do we get that conversation changed so that one side or the other starts meeting in the middle a little bit here? I think we have to start off by realizing that this white collar, um, that the group of white collar people, this this so-called intelligentsia, and mostly of civil servants who are very supportive of the Greens, are in a minority. So what we first and foremost need is the majority to stand up and say we we do not let you dictate our energy policy. That's the first thing that should happen. Um, the second thing is that they should get into a position where even they realize that energy is too expensive and this will come in the next winter I, I i guarantee you the price increases are already very drastic and they're expected to be astronomical so the this is this is what what needs to what needs to happen and quite frankly we need a lot of um change coming from from society we need to um point the finger exactly at who's responsible for this which is the, the the green the green mainstream currently and this is the only this is the only um, way by raising the societal pressure um on how we can get out of this Here's the tough question, and this is going to be some pronostication, so just do your best with it. But if this thing gets ugly, if Putin really does turn off all the gas like he's probably going to threaten to do because he's going to want concessions and he's going to want to put the pressure on Ukraine. If if this gets really ugly, when people get hurt and people get scared, they're not always rational. 
the German people, we know the policy, we know where the government stands, we know where the EU stands, we know where America and the allies stand. The German people, if they start really feeling the bite of this thing, what direction is that anger and frustration going to get aimed at? Is it going to be at Schultz? Is it going to be at Putin? Where's this going to land at? We're right now facing a problem that we are currently we're currently facing the consequences um, of the of the sanctions um, towards Russia, which I think are are right. We should have those sanctions, um, but the German the German public is already feeling um, sort of fatigue. They are fed up with the war, and the support for Ukraine is actually um, sort of currently shrinking. So this is this is the the first the first thing I I see right now. Um, they are directing their anger towards the government and saying, why, why is this our war? And um, I could go into why this is and this should be, um, you know, a priority of Germany to have the Ukrainians win this war. But um, we lose sight of the fact that our government brought us in this situation in the first place and that the, the war of Russia in Ukraine is only a contributing factor. So what it, it should be directed towards towards the people who are currently opposing nuclear power but um it's currently directed towards the people who still support the sanctions and i think this is a this is a grave mistake in order to um in order to you know i, I i'm not expecting the the germans to go out on the street in mass this has just not been a german thing to do um if it gets way worse then um then we might be surprised that they uh go on the streets but it's not exactly likely yeah felix Hassa. one last question on this front um you talk about sound energy policy in your piece this would require consistency we've talked about how this has been going on since the 70s it's kind of ingrained in german culture at this point is the big trap here going to be, well, if we just figure out this thing with Putin, all our problems are going to go away, and that's going to be the false hope because you're still going to have this underlying energy crisis underneath. Is there a little bit of a trap forming here? 100%. 100%. We are in the situation not because of Putin, but because of the irrational fear and, in a way, the decadence of the last, of the last governments and of our public. Um, we are here because we lost sight of why it is important to have clean and reliable and cheap energy. And for and for the like for the politicians, it's always very very easy to blame Putin on this. But energy energy prices were the highest uh, in Europe before the war started and before anyone could think of sanctions and um, decreases in the amount of gas delivered. Yeah, Felix Hauser. It's universal. It doesn't matter the country, the language, or the situation. We tend to make our own messes and make sure we blame somebody else so we don't have to deal with it. Uh, I'm sure our German friends are going to have that same problem with energy crisis because we're doing that within the States for ourselves right now. Felix Hauser, great information. Really appreciate it. We'll have you back again. Until we see you again on Hertel, though, let folks know where they can follow you, what you have going on, until they see and hear from you again, my friend. Awesome. Um, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. but um it's the it's the free felix that's my twitter handle but i'd like to direct you uh, to uh, my think tank i i recently found it which is called the ego institute our website is ego-institute.org 
and we are a think tank which gives people perspective on how they can live a freer life by doing easy steps and not rely on the government to make them more free because history has shown that this usually doesn't work out that way and um, we try to give people some guidance on how to live a more free and flourishing life there yeah we'll link to all that we'll put all that in his social media is on the screen if you're watching on the youtube and we will put all those in the show notes including his piece in sustainability times on nuclear make sure you read the whole thing for yourself there's some links in there too you need to make sure you check out make up your own mind and we'll continue to talk about this issue because it ain't going away and like the show's famous for saying winter's coming my friend and this is going to get real real dicey i'm afraid uh felix hosser appreciate your time my friend we'll talk again soon thank you so much for having me thank you sir save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.